Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 28, Rosenstroik versus Sakai in a heavyweight showdown that is going to have implications in that division for the title picture. Of course, we won't be breaking down that fight, though, or any other of the fights on the main card, because this is called the prelim primer for a reason. We're here to break down the prelim portion of the card. For those of you who are new to the show and might be asking yourselves, why just the prelims? Why not break down the exciting main event action? There's actually a couple of heavyweight fights on the top. The answer is really simple. The answer, the reason we break down the prelims here is because you guys probably know a lot about these main card fighters. You probably also have another place you go for that breakdown. But you probably don't have a place that digs into the prelims quite like we do. And that's what we're here for because, hey, the prelims gives you lots to make money on when it comes to gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or, hey, maybe even just winning a pick'em contest. And speaking of pick'em contests, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA. Fanatics MMA is the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today because not only can you log your picks, but they give you fighter bios, records, odds, all in the palm of your hand while you make those picks. And I'm going to tell you about all kinds of other great features about Fanatics MMA a little bit later on in the show. But first, just make sure you go to wherever it is you download apps and download that Fanatics MMA app right now. And like I said, I'll get you with that other info in just a little bit because now we have to transition to the actual part where we break down the fights. And in order to do so, I am now joined by my co-host joining me today from Bloody Elbow, Kristen King. Kristen, welcome back. Thank you guys for having me back on every single time. I, I love it, and I can't wait to break down these fights with you all. Well, we love having you, and we start each and every round, guys, by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Makwan Amirakani versus Kamuela Kirk. So Amirakani had a decision loss to Edson Barboza back in October, which in retrospect looks even better for him now. Uh, of course, before that, he anaconda choked Danny Henry. Kirk, meanwhile, is 2-1 since he lost in the Contender Series to Billy Quarantillo. He's coming off a win in May at LFA 107 against Daniel Swain. So you obviously got to respect the last second step up here for Kirk. But I got to ask, is, is this too much to ask for a newcomer on short notice? You know, it really depends on the type of fight that ends up happening on Saturday night. And I say this because... I think Kirk has really solid boxing and can obviously pressure you like crazy. I mean, we saw what happened in his fight against Swain. It just became so much for Swain that we saw the rare retirement on the stool. We very rarely see that. And the fact that he was able to do that, I I feel like that is one of those things that he can do to Makwan Amerikani, where he can just keep the pressure going. Because sometimes in like previous performances, I would say the um, the Shane Burgos fight, that one you saw him tire out a little bit because he couldn't implement his own game plan. And you know from Americani we're going to get takedown city at this point. But if he can't get it to the ground and he's forced to stand up, sometimes we can see him get a little bit leery. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for Kirk to actually pull off a win here. It's just the question becomes, is he good enough to stop those takedowns and keep the fight standing? I have a little trouble giving him full credit because we saw what happened in that uh, contender series fights with Billy Quarantillo. He was handily taken down and, and kept there. So I wonder if he can 
work on that takedown defense a little bit and keep the fight standing with Amir Khani. But it really just depends on what ends up happening. Is Amir Khani going to go for those takedowns? Is he going to secure it? Because he definitely can. Or can Curry keep the fight standing? So it just, let's see who shows up on Saturday, basically. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. And the Quarantillo fight is such like an interesting one for me because I think Quarantillo is probably better at getting opponents down, but I like Amir Khani's submission game better than I like uh, Quarantillo's, which which of course makes this kind of even more interesting because then like what happens to Kirk the one time it gets down or the two times it gets down if, if that is Amir Khani's game. Um, and, and of course, the, the Quarantillo fight should, should raise some questions here on Kirk and, and certainly the short notice plays in as well. Um, but with all of that being said, we do have to make a pick. Who do you like in this one and how do you like him? I think I'm going to take my safe pick as Americani by decision, but I am more than ready to be proven wrong by Kurt because I think he has the ability to make me my words in this fight. But I'm going to go safe as possible, Americani by decision. Awesome. And I'm going to go Americani by submission. I actually think in one of those ones he gets down. I, I think he finishes something here because he is crafty as hell on the mat. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Montana De La Rosa versus Ariane Lipsky. De La Rosa coming off that majority draw with Mara Buena Silva. Uh, Before that, she alternated wins and losses for her four fights before that. Lipsky, meanwhile, had a two-fight win streak, but she lost by ground and pound to Antonita Shevchenko in November. So I guess my question here for you, let's talk about that ground and pound loss to Antonita Shevchenko. She clearly had some trouble on the bottom against Shevchenko, who's... I don't know, maybe not even as good of a wrestler here as De La Rosa. Does that spell kind of a nightmare here for Lipsky? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it does. When I was looking back at all the fights that Lipsky has had, I mean, it's very clear that she kind of struggles on the ground. And the last performance against um, Shevchenko, I was genuinely shocked. I mean, she was held down for the majority of that fight. And now you're going up against De La Rosa, who's basically a specialist on the ground. She is absolutely excellent. Her jujitsu is something to look out for. And obviously that can play a big role, especially after a performance that Lipsky had against Shevchenko, where the blueprint was very simple. Get your get your fighter to the ground and just hold her there. And do I think Montana De La Rosa has the capability of doing that? Absolutely, because that's exactly what she excels in. Now, Lipsky, obviously, I believe, has the better striking in the fight and is probably known for knocking out her opponents. Obviously, you can look at her run in KSW, but I'm not sure if that's going to serve her too well in this fight with Montana De La Rosa because Montana is absolutely adamant that she wants to get to fight the fight to the ground. And seeing how it was done in the last fight that Lipsky just had, Montana's going there all day. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this one, too. Like, Lipsky... I think some people who are, are even picking her in this fight are thinking about that submission when she had. And, and look, she she even was getting out grappled a little bit by Luana Carolina there before she wound up in a weird position and got that knee bar. So I, I totally expect her to be on her back for the vast majority of this fight. And I think De La Rosa, man, I, I'm not going to say I think she definitely finishes her, but I think there's a, prob- a possibility in there, too, that she finishes her. But if I'm picking safe, I'm taking De La Rosa by decision. How about you? So am I. De La Rosa by decision. All right, and that brings us to our third fight of the first round, which is Ilir Latifi versus Tanner Boser. Latifi made his heavyweight debut against Derek Lewis, which is certainly not an easy ask. He lost that fight by decision back in February of 2020, so he's been off for a little more than a year. Tanner Boser, after winning two straight, dropped the decision to Andre Arlovsky. That fight was in November. 
So I want this focus to be here on Latifi. He was always a short and kind of small, stocky 205-er, and now he's at heavyweight, which makes all the sense in the world, right, in the weirdest division in the MMA. <laughs> what are your thoughts about him in a sustained effort to stay up at heavyweight and against a guy like Boser, who's, I mean, like a skinnier, leaner heavyweight? Yeah, it definitely concerns me that Latifi has decided to take his weight up and go from light heavyweight to heavyweight. I thought that at least at light heavyweight, he wasn't going to be like at a disadvantage all the time because of his stature, because of his build. But now he's moved up there with the really big boys at heavyweight. And I'm just finding it a little bit hard for me to believe. How is this going to work in the long run? I mean, you're already at a disadvantage because you're one of the smaller dudes in the division. And don't get me wrong. He's absolutely powerful. You know what Elir Latifi is going to do. He's going to look for those takedowns and just dominate from top control until a submission ends up happening. But can he do that against some of these big boys at heavyweight? I'm not entirely sure. The last win that that Latifi had, I believe, was against Ovent St. Peru, and he's pretty big, but he's also at light heavyweight, you know what I mean? So this fight against Bozer is just uh, I probably one of the more frustrating fights because it's just odd. It's just odd all around, and I, I feel like Bozer's just going to look to stick and move after landing his shots and then try his best to avoid the takedown, and I think he's more than capable of doing that. I feel like this might be a long night for Latifi. I think you're 100% right. If he can't get in on the inside, this this is a lost cause. Because Bolzer's actually looked really good with his hands as, as of late. <laughs> you know, like there, there's a couple of fights in there. I know he lost that last one with Arlovsky where he kind of just got picked apart. But th- that's not the type of fight Ilar Latifi is bringing him here, right? He's bringing him an entirely yeah. different fight. So, uh, But his hands look good in that knockout to that weird hammer fist he threw where he ended that fight. Um, I, the, the name's escaping me of who he knocked out. But look good striking there. So... It sounds like you're leaning towards Boser. If Boser does get it done, do you expect this to be a decision? Yes, I think it's going to be a unanimous decision. I think Latifi is still tough enough to not be stopped by Boser, but it could happen. But I'm just going to be safe and go by unanimous decision for Boser. Well, I'm going to do the opposite of being safe, and I'm going to get a little crazy. I'm actually going to take (laughs) Ilir Latifi in this fight. Uh, I I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but he did take down Derek Lewis three times. He did yeah. he, he did have like seven minutes of top control in that fight. Man, yeah. I, I have no idea whether or not Tanner Boser can defend that takedown, but I'm willing to, at underdog type odds, I'm willing to find out on Iroh Latifi. So uh, my long shot pick here, I'm taking Iroh Latifi by decision. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with the second round. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that I was going to tell you about some of the other features of Fanatics MMA that make it just so great. And the first one is their scoring system. Because you're used to doing a pick a map. Hey, maybe, you know, you won seven out of eight fights or maybe you won this amount out of that amount of fights. And the guy who just went chalk just somehow beat you, right? Like he, he, he went with all the favorites and somehow he edged you out because you, you like to pick a dog or two. The cool thing about Fanatics MMA is they give you a real fighter IQ score by using the Vegas odds. So if you pick a big underdog and they win, that win is weighted differently than somebody taking a huge chalk favorite. So use their system. I'm telling you, it's the coolest thing in the world. And of course, if you listen to me at the top of the show and downloaded the app, you could be checking it out right now. 
And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Francisco Trinaldo versus Muslim Salikov. Trinaldo, three-fight win streak, but get this, he's leaving the division on a three-fight winning streak. He's going up to welterweight for the first time. Of course, we last saw him back in July when he knocked out Jai Herbert. Salikov, meanwhile, is on a four-fight win streak. Of course, all of those fights up at 170. He last beat Eliza Zaleski dos Santos back in July as well. So, my question here, you know, Trinaldo, three-fight winning streak. We were just talking about Latifi moving up a weight class. What are your thoughts on Trinaldo moving up a weight class? Yeah, this one is a little bit more easier for me to digest, I would say. I think when I was doing my research, I saw that Trinaldo used to compete as high up as middleweight. So I was a little surprised to see that. But then when I realized that he was no longer going to be competing at lightweight, he was going to be competing at welterweight for this upcoming fight, it made all the sense in the world. You know, the weight cut is probably going to get a little bit tougher for someone um, like Trinaldo, who is, I believe, now 42 years old. So at this point, the, the door's almost closing on on Trinaldo's career so maybe he doesn't want to take those big weight cuts anymore and maybe 170 is better for him actually in his last fight uh in Jay, against Jay Herbert he missed weight and it was a big weight miss i believe he weighed in around 160 pounds so i imagine he wants to avoid that and just be as comfortable as possible and if 170 is where he feels comfortable then that's great. I'm more than happy to see you move up in weight. But now you're going to be in there with some of these guys like Salyakov, and they possess a lot of power, a lot of flashiness in their striking. And someone whose nickname is, I believe, the King of Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what to expect at this point. So Trinado has looked sensational in his last three fights. I, I do have a little bit of a worry of him going up against these guys like Salyakov, but it should be an interesting fight. I'm excited to see because both of them are very creative strikers. So I, I'm interested in seeing how he fares in the welterweight division. Yeah, I'm interested too. I, I am a little bit worried about his reach here in that mm -hmm. you're, you're right. He, he does look good striking lately. He has looked great, but he's fighting guys where his reach isn't a disadvantage and his height isn't a disadvantage. And, so when, when he's up there against the guy who is going to be throwing the type of stuff Muslim Salikov does, I am i don't think it's going to work all that well for Trinaldo. He also is kind of in his older age, gotten a little bit more <laughs> passive in his fighting style. Um, he seems to let the fight come to him a little bit more. That worries me. So I'm going to take Salikov here. I think I'm going to take him. I actually think maybe I'll take him by knockout because he's knocked out some good dudes in the UFC as well. So I, I'll take Salikov by knockout. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go Salikov with third round knockout. I, I think that Trinaldo is still pretty well-rounded, but I think he may have met his match in this one. Yeah, and he's 42. You you did mention that. I, I Googled it while we were listening, while I was listening to you. He's 42. That That's pretty old for a division like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Mason Jones versus Alan Patrick. So uh, Jones lost the decision to Mike Davis in his January debut. Patrick, meanwhile, has been in the UFC since 2015. He has lost two straight at the moment, two, uh, one to Scott Holtzman and one to Bobby Green. So uh, here's the kind of thing about Alan Patrick. It, it seems like he's sort of live and die by the takedown. If he's the one getting the takedowns, he does well. If somebody's shooting him on him, he's in a lot of trouble do you think he has the offensive takedowns to get Mason Jones down or is he destined to spend most of this fight on his back? I mean, I feel like he could, t you know what? Let me say this. When we broke down the last fight, uh, that Alan Patrick had, I believe it was against Bobby green. And we had obviously pointed out the advantage that he may have on the ground. 
And now when we look back at that fight against Bobby Green, you saw what happened. Bobby Green absolutely dominated on the ground, and it just didn't seem like Patrick had any other way to win the fight. Like, he was trying to get the fight to the ground, but it just didn't work. And, I mean, against someone like Mason Jones, could he get the the fight to the ground? It's a possibility. But I believe that Mason Jones has very good takedown defense. And so now that I'm looking at it through the lenses of the last fight for Patrick, his last fight was the decision loss to Green, and we saw what happened on the ground. He got dominated. So if he can't get the fight to the ground, what's the next option? Standing. And we know what Mason Jones is capable of when he stands up. This guy is knocking out people. He has at the, all the knockout power in the world. So now you have that knockout power, good takedown defense. What route is there for Alain Patrick to have to win this fight? I just don't see it. I don't see it. And even if he gets put on his back, I mean, Mason Jones is just going to go crazy with the ground and pound. So I find it very, very hard to find a path to victory for Alain Patrick in this fight. Yeah, and, and to, to build on that too, I, I just have a tough time even giving him like the puncher slash submission chance, right? Because mm-hmm. Mason Jones took a beating in that fight with Mike Davis. I mean, he issued yeah. a beating as well, right? Like that exactly. that is a low-key fight of the year contender right now. Um, but like they, they both took tons of punishment. He still kept moving forward. I can't imagine Patrick can do anything that, that Mike Davis didn't do to him. So I, I think Jones goes in there. I think he's trying to make a statement here too, coming off of that loss, you know, the first loss of his career. I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him by finish. I'm not quite sure what I want him to do to to get the finish yet, but I'm going to say he gets the finish in there. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to say Jones gets it done by knockout. I'm confident in him. All right. And that brings us to our last fight of this round, which is Manon Firo versus Tabitha Ricci. Firo made her debut back in January with a head kick knockout over Victoria Leonardo. Uh, Ricci, meanwhile, is making this debut at 5-0 on very short notice. We actually heard about it just hours before going to recording. Of course, Ferro was originally supposed to fight Marina Mraz. So uh, tell us a little bit, for those who don't know about Tabitha Ricci, and, and what you expect from her against somebody like Ferro. Yeah, man, Tabitha Ricci, I'm super excited to see her. I am a little bit worried because I do believe it is too early for a UFC call-up. But she is an absolute elite specialist on the ground. This girl was born and bred for judo and jujitsu. So you can always expect her to try and close the distance and get the fight to the ground. Look for that submission. And while that may seem like, oh, that's easy enough. Just avoid her takedowns and avoid the submission attempts. She's actually been working on her hands. She has a camp out out in California and she's been working on her striking. She actually picked up a technical knockout win in her last fight. So expect that to come into play against someone like Fioro. But we're talking about Fioro here, who is essentially one of these stars that is pegged for the future of the UFC, basically. And it's It's a very tough ask for someone like Ricci to take on a few days notice. I have confidence in her abilities, but I do worry that this fight matchup just seems a little bit too soon for right now. Yeah, and and I mean, like you said it, Faro for me, is like one of the potential future stars of this division mm-hmm. right now. It's like it's like her and Miranda Maverick, for me, are, are neck and neck of like, who's going to run up this division and cause havoc 
faster. Um, and the UFC seems willing to give them both step ups right now. And, and it's unfortunate that Firo winds up with, first of all, another prospect, which, like you said, is probably too <laughs> much for her at this point in time. And that's that's going to squash another prospect that we could have potentially been excited about. But also, like, they had her book with Mirage, so they did see her going up the division and, and storming probably pretty close to the top 15 after this one. I, I think you're right. Ricci's great on the ground. I just think the way that Firo manages distance and swarms with those strikes, and, man, she mixes in the kicks, and she, she's got great <laughs> boxing. There, there's just so much to like about her on the feet and the way that she keeps distance. I just think she stays away from Ricci long enough to, to put a pretty good beating on her on the feet. Like you said, Ricci's striking has come a long way. I don't think it's come far enough to fight somebody like Menon Firo. So I'm going to take Firo here. I actually think she gets the stoppage too. I'm going to take her TKO. How about you? I'm going to play it safe as usual and say Firo by unanimous decision. All right. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the last two fights. All right, guys, the other feature I wanted to tell you about on Fanatics MMA is the group feature. You can actually talk with your friends through the Fanatics MMA app while you look at their picks, your own picks, the bios, and all that other good stuff, checking out your results for the event. And you can do that. Let me tell you about the first group you should join. You should go join the Top Turtle MMA app or group in that app. And you can do so by heading on over to either Twitter or Instagram, clicking the link in our bio, and there you will see Play with us on Fanatics MMA. You're going to want to click that. You will be brought right into our group. You're going to get to check your picks against mine each and every week. And you're going to have a good time doing it. So make sure you download that. Make sure you join our group. Make sure you enjoy the scoring system. Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Yusuf Zalal versus Sean Woodson. So, Zalal, after starting 3-0, he has been beaten back-to-back fights by Sung Woo Choi and Ilya Tupuria. Of course, those are two pretty tough guys in there. Woodson, meanwhile, got a win in his debut as well against Kyle Bochniak. Followed that up by getting beat by Julian Arosa with a late Daris choke. That was back in June. So, obviously, both these guys started white hot, had very impressive debuts or three fights in the case of Zalal. But both of them kind of dipped off and maybe didn't have the most impressive, most recent fights. Which of the two guys here are you most concerned based on their recent performances? I would have to say Zalal. And it really does pain me to say this because he had a lot of hype coming in behind him when he made his UFC debut. And he made good on it. I believe he took out three opponents in like one calendar year. And he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And his flashiness, his creativeness, all of that made for one to watch like you really wanted to tune in for a Yusuf Zalal fight and the fact that he also had the wrestling and ground game to boot it was like man this guy he's super young too by the way I believe he's only what like 24 years old I mean he seemed to have it all figured out and then he's been outmatched in his last two fights I'm not gonna lie like you said Choi and Tapuria were two names that you know what there really is no shame in losing but I believe we also broke down the um Choi fight and I had the utmost confidence in Zalal to just hand him a loss had he used his wrestling property properly it didn't seem like he was able to do that in that fight against Choi and that's why he ended up coming up short so I'm a little bit worried for Zalal um I do see a path to victory for him I like Woodson I really did like what I was seeing in the Julian Arosa fight But you can see as the fight went on, he kind of let his foot off the gas just a little bit. And Arosa 
put his foot down on the gas and we saw what happened. As long as you kind of just pressure come forward, you could probably get through Woodson. And I think Zalal has the ability to do that. Um, but man, this is a really big fight. This is a big fight because this could either make or break Zalal or this could be a good comeback for Woodson. So yeah, this is a, this is a tough one. Yeah. And I agree with you on that too. Like I think, I think Yusuf Zalal has the ability to like put that on Sean Woodson if he wants. Mm-hmm. But my one my one concern is is if if Juliana Rosa didn't actually submit uh, Sean Woodson in that fight, or if he didn't finish him with strikes, even I actually think he probably loses that fight, right? Like he's not that far <laughs> away. We're we're talking about like two and a half minutes there from Woodson having won that fight, and yeah. and Zalal doesn't have a lot of finishes lately, right? Like he's a guy who's mm-hmm. gone out there and put a bunch of decisions on the board. And, and Sean Woodson has shown, like, he's going to hit you with enough volume if this fight continues. Like, that it's going to be hard to win a decision against him. You know, he fought Kyle Bochniak. Bochniak landed one out of 15 takedowns. And meanwhile, Woodson just peppered him with over 100 shots. So mm. I, I kind of see Zalal being able to get some wrestling going. But I don't know if it's going to be enough. And I don't know if he's going to put him away. So for those reasons, I've been leaning here to, to Woodson. And I'm going to say... Man, I, I I am feeling jumpy today with the finishes. I'm going to take Sean Woodson by knockout, too, because, hey, he's got those hands and knees. Uh, and I'm going to say he gets one here. Oh, man, these picks are crazy today. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm going to say I, I still have confidence in Zalal, so I'm going to say Zalal by unanimous decision. All right, and that brings us to our last fight, which is Claudio Puelles versus Jordan Levitt. Uh, Puelles, uh, two-fight win streak. He last beat Marcos Mariano. Uh, back in November of 2019. So it's been a minute since we've seen Pueyes. So Levitt, meanwhile, it's not been long since we've seen him. He slammed Matt Wyman into the shadow realm back in December. So uh, the weird question here is, right, like we don't really know what to do with Claudio, right? He's He's been mm-hmm. out for quite a long time. But we do know that both of these guys like to mix it up on the ground. Is this yeah. a case where that kind of just cancels out and we see them strike? Or do you see somebody with an advantage on the ground that could play out? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting fight as well, because like you said, they are essentially the same type of fighter when it comes to the ground game. And I I mean, it could cancel each other out and they could choose to strike, but I don't think that it does. I think they're going to probably rely on their bread and butter here. And I personally believe that Levitt actually has, has the advantage here on the ground I think his wrestling and his ground game, you know, we've seen what he can do. He's picked up a hell of a lot of submissions. I would not be surprised if he can get one against Puelles because I'm I'm kind of wondering, should I compare this to the Elon Patrick thing where it's just like he's known for one thing. And if that one thing doesn't get going, then what does he have? It almost feels a little bit like that. So and especially now that he's coming in from a long, long layoff, I'm kind of like, well, if Puelles can get anything going on the ground and Levitt, who has been more active in recent months, can, that could spell a very interesting fight for Puelles. I think this is a very tough ask of him as well for his comeback fight. Yeah, and if you look at some of those wins too, I mean, like the Nibar win sticks out for, for mm-hmm. Puelles, but like he was also getting the hell beat out of him in that fight. Yeah. And like so, so we're relying on a guy who who does have really great submission skills, but like kind of has to use those in order to win. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think Levitt is is technically sound enough here. 
that he stays away from that, right? Like, even if he yeah. winds up on the bottom, he doesn't wind up subbed. If he does wind up on top, he definitely doesn't wind up subbed. And I think if we go back to that original question where if, if, if they do cancel out, I actually think I'd like Levitt there too, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I think his striking is probably a step ahead. It is worth mentioning that Puelius has started uh, training at Sanford MMA now. He's not just training in in Peru where he's not like mixing and matching his training camps. He is at Sanford. So I do expect to see some improvements, but I don't know if it's enough to beat Levitt. Who you got in this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Levitt here. I am going to say by decision. I'm going to go with Levitt too. And despite the fact that I keep going by finishes, I am going to go by decision as well on this one. (laughs) I'll take Levitt by uh, decision. I don't think he's going to slam a second person out in the craziest fashion ever. Um, And of course that does it for the end of our prelims and the end of our third round. We hope you guys learned a little something in those eight fights. We got your eight fights in, well, I guess a little bit more than our typical uh, 15 minutes, but we hope you guys learned something. Once again, I want to thank my co-host, Kristen King. You can catch her on Bloody Elbow as well as on Twitter at Kristen King MMA. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me. Thank y'all so much for listening and tuning in, and I can't wait to do it all over again. <laughs>